Episode 101 for May 2010. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have today's comics at yesterday's prices. An example is The Web of Spider-Man number 10. The book is written by Fred Van Linty and Mark Guggenheim. And the description reads, quote, As the extremist lays siege on City Hall, can Spider-Man save Mayor Jameson? And what secret of the amazing Spider-Man is the extremist preparing to reveal? Fred Van Linty and hopping Javier Rodriguez bring you the senses-shattering conclusion of the extremist. Meanwhile, pulled back to New York to put the man who murdered her husband in jail, Jackpot finds herself face-to-face with Mr. Negative. Now, the cover price of that book is 3 bucks and 99 cents. Mail order has it for $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Well, gang, this is our first show of May, and we have a special correspondent for this episode. Our good buddy Bertoni had a chance to interview Amazing Spider-Man writer Fred Van Linty at a free comic book day signing, and it was conducted at the Heroes Landing store in Claremont, Florida. So, here's Bertoni. It is free comic book day, and we are here at Heroes Landing in Claremont with Fred Van Linty. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me. Enjoying yourself? Enjoying talking to the fans? I am. I am. It's been totally awesome here in Claremont. Is that how you pronounce that? Yep. Claremont. Chris? I know it's not spelled the same, but... uh, uh, Yeah, no, it's been totally awesome so far. Great turnout. Stormtroopers galore. It's uh, Ghostbusters. What more could you want out of life? Cool. Now, how did you get first get involved with Marvel Comics and uh, writing for Spider-Man? Well, specifically with Marvel, I did a, an indie uh, super noir comic called The Silencers that was about a bunch of super-powered mob enforcers that go uh, become independent operators when uh, the mafia family they work for gets whacked. And that was drawn by my buddy uh, Steve Ellis, who's probably best known these days for doing High Moon over at Zuda Comics. Uh, and an editor by the name of Mark Nietzsche liked that book and invited me to pitch for uh, a character familiar to Spider-Man readers. They were they decided to revamp the Scorpion as a female Shield agent, and so my pitch was the one that was accepted, and uh, and that came out in '05, and they haven't been able to get rid of me since. That was for I think the Amazing Fantasy. Uh, title that they were relaunching exactly. at the time, that exactly. arena and a bunch of other new characters. Amadeus Cho first appeared in, in that in that anthology book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and when it comes to Spider-Man, Steve Wacker asked me to do, um, I guess, the the work I was doing on Incredible Hercules was, was getting some buzz around the office, so Steve invited me to do, and uh, it was essentially a fill-in issue. I mean, you know, I guess that's a... That's a naughty word these days, but that's basically what it was. Uh, and I decided to bring back the Spot, who I used in my Modox 11 miniseries. And th- that was well-received, and then I was offered the, the, the Mr. Negative miniseries, the Dark Rain one, and uh, sort of that evolved, and then I became a, a webhead. And I was brought into the secret chamber, you know, with the robes and the chanting and the candles. And they made me drink something. They said it was web fluid. Found out later it wasn't. Uh, you know, woke up in Steve Wacker's apartment. Exactly. For the last forty-eight hours. You know, my bank account was empty. Steve was nowhere to be found. I was wearing a wig. I'd rather not go into any more details if you don't mind. Right. Well, if the, if any pictures from that mysterious evening arise, please be sure to send them our way. I will. I will. Well, prior to um, joining with Marvel and writing for Spider-Man, what was your history with the character? Were you a fan growing up? I was. In fact, it was really the first thing I remember reading. Uh, it, 
my dad was kind of into comics, and when I was very young, they got me the pocket books reprints of uh, the original Lee Ditko Spider-Man. So I'm definitely an old-school Spider-Man fan in the sense that I grew up reading Lee and Ditko, and that really, to me, is Spider-Man for me in many ways. Uh, and uh, I literally reread those those little color reprint books until they fell apart in my hands. You also did um, stories for the series that's changed names a million times. It's a Spider-Man family, Amazing Spider-Man family. Right. Now, now it's Web. Right. Yeah. Now you were supposed to do origins for villains. What yep. was the mandate that they given you? What material did they give you to work with for these villains? What were the guidelines? Well, we Web was relaunched basically at the same time the Gauntlet started, which is, as I assume most of you know, is the um, the storyline that brings back all the major Spider-Man villains, and, and in many cases reimagines them and updates them and makes them work. Generally, rock on, sir. That's free comic day. You can't, you can't stop, you know. I know we're doing an interview, but you can't stop free comic book day. Um, it's an unstoppable thing. It is. Nothing can it stop is. free it, comic book day. That's uh, Roger Stern's next arc. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's beautiful and unstoppable. Uh, and um, so Steve asked, originally Barry... Kitson and I were supposed to do the whole run of, of Origins, starting with Electro, but unfortunately scheduling sort of prevented Barry from uh, from completing the whole thing. But I got terrific artists. I got to work with Nick Dragata, who I did one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man stories with in Marvel Zombies Return. Hefty uh, Apollo, who I'm doing a project with right now. He was awesome doing Lizard versus Man-Thing, which is another one of my favorites. Uh, just, just a great great bunch of guys and it's been a lot of fun to do that and starting in issue 8 uh, this month in May actually we're going to sort of jettison the anthology format to a certain extent uh, in which uh, in a storyline called The Extremist in which Spidey goes up against a superpowered assassin who is targeted J- Mayor J. Jonah Jameson so that's oh, some exciting okay. stuff and drawn by uh, Javier Rodriguez whose work has uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry I, I ate something that made it makes me sound like R2D2. Uh, but, uh, uh, it's Aunt Brew's blue milk. It'll do that to you. <laughs> no wonder Luke left, you know, I mean, when you think about it. That was the kind of meals he was getting. Uh, they must not have been too healthy, because next time you saw them, they were, you know, burnt skeleton corpses. So well, she, she tried to offer them the stormtroopers, and that didn't go terribly well. No. Uh, yes, that's Webb. New, new storyline starting in, in with number eight in May. So you said that it's dropping the anthology thing. Does that mean that uh, there won't be any of the backup stories? There sort of? will be a backup. It'll be a shorter book, but we're going to do sort of more a more standard twenty-two page Spider-Man story. And now Spider-Man is the main character in Spider-Man. Okay. Now you. Uh, and recently included the White Rabbits. Was there a lot of pressure uh, because a lot of people like nobody but JMD Mateus can white the White Rabbits? <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, not really. Uh, do people really say that? <laughs> I didn't actually, I was well, not aware of I mean, it, 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 it was funny, but uh, there's a lot of trepidation because he's written her for so long, but obviously these characters, it's a shared universe. Right. Yeah, I, the, uh, the, my original idea was with White Rabbit was she was supposed to be, what if Grace Slick was a supervillain? And she was supposed to sort of be more, um, more, more sort of like a, a classic rock ro- uh, groupie gone out of control. But I really liked uh, Javier Polito's rendition of her in in that story, and, and that was really awesome. Uh, I love bringing back the spot 
the White Rabbit. One day, hopefully, I'll be able to get to do the Rocket Racer story oh, in the back of my head. And you got to bring back the Big Wheel if you're bringing back the Rocket oh, Racer. Oh, please. I've already, I've already used the Big Wheel once again in Modox 11. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Can I get you sign this? I would be absolutely honored. Thank you so much. And I'm going to sign this right over the lizard's snout. Watch out for those teeth. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So great you came. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now I got to ask you the controversial one that I'm sure that you're tired of hearing about. Do okay. You, do you know where this is going before I start? Uh, I, I can yeah. guess, but you might as well just just come out and say it. All right, redheaded stranger. Very very good reimagining the chameleon. Uh-huh. But there was that controversial scene where um, he and Michelle Gonzalez. Uh, well, what exactly did they do? Because it did, um, from the perspective of a lot of readers, look like they went all the way, to put it mildly. Right. But uh, later it came out that they just swapped some kisses on the kitchen floor when there was the controversy of over, is it rape, is it not rape? Right, right. What did, um, was that added in later, after the initial controversy it came w- out? It was not. I mean, the, uh, the, the quote-unquote uh, controversy sort of came out literally after that issue had gone to press. So that was always the intention of the story. Mm-hmm. So you, you would have needed a, a pretty big army of magic elves to have gone in and fixed that uh, after the fact. That, that's part of parcel of doing a weekly comic is, you know, once, once it, it, you, you go down that path, you can't really change anything once it's gone there. Was the events purposely uh, meant to be vague uh, so that it would keep the readers guessing until Michelle does tell Peter that it was just kisses on the kitchen floor? Um, or was that just the way it worked out? Yeah, that's more of just the way it worked out. The, uh, the I mean, my my uh, my position is, is that uh, you know it, it, the work speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand how people can have different interpretations of it, but uh, you know, for me, the the, the 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 I stand by the story, and the story says what I wanted it to say. Now you're sharing Amazing Spider-Man with. A group of other people. Does that? How often do you guys communicate? Do you all get together, or is it just mass emails? Do you see each other outside the court story conferences, or do you all, you know, have drinks every now and again? How much uh, communication is there? Well, we're kind of flung across the uh, the uh, United States, um, so we just actually had a phone conference last week. I mean, we we meet like uh, we meet face to face about quarterly or twice or three times a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the uh, the the communication is very good. By email, we communicate several times a week, so it's it's a fairly close knit group, and we're constantly rereading each other's stuff. You know, largely to make sure it doesn't interview with our stuff. And obviously, with a big project like this, it uh, it you know stuff isn't perfect, but uh, we, we try to make it as perfect as we can. Well, your reimagining of the chameleon, what inspired that? I, I know that you said that you were a big fan of the early Lee Ditko stuff. Was that was a lot of that from Amazing yeah, Spider-Man I mean, one for you? Yeah, I mean, what I liked about the chameleon in the first place was that he didn't have any superpowers, but still could um, go toe-to-toe with Spider-Man. And I liked the fact that... Uh, the, 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 I like the espionage of it. You know, I started out doing The Scorpion, which is basically an espionage book, and um, I, uh, I wanted to sort of bring it more back to that. 
and I and I had this sort of the sort of creepy idea of the fact that he completely takes over people's bodies and dips them in acid to destroy any evidence of the fact that there was there, that that person even existed prior to the chameleon showing up. Um, but uh, uh, that was the story that I came up with when I was in high school, you know, and and when I was imagining myself being a writer at some point in the future, just the, all the imagery of it kind of stuck with me and. Uh, it largely came out in the in the printed comic the way I had conceived of it decades before. You also uh, were one of the people who brought Mary Jane back in that arc. Were there any instructions that you were given about how she would be portrayed and interact with the rest of the cast, or was a lot of that your interpretation? A lot, most of it was my interpretation. There were some very basic guidelines I, I, I had to follow because everyone knew that one moment in time was was coming. So. You know, we didn't want to give away anything that Joe and Paolo were doing in one moment in time. But beyond that, the, the interpretation of the character is pretty much wholly my own. Okay, cool. We have some message board questions if okay. uh, you want. Yes, please. Question number one from uh, Kevin Cushing. Okay. He's one of the biggest Morbius fans ever. I understand awesome. you are as well. So. I am. I am a huge Morbius fan. Okay, so you and him will be two of the only people that will understand this question. I, I hope I can understand He it. says, as a fellow Morbius fan, I want to ask you about Martine's appearance in your recent Amazing issue. Yes. The last time I saw her, she was not a vampire, just an emotionless undead being brought back by the Darkhold. Did I miss where she was turned into a vampire, or did you decide to give her sort of a reboot for her return? If so, what was your reasons behind that? Thank you for your time, sir. And thank you for the question. Uh, no, you are correct. We never actually saw Martine come becoming a vampire in the 90s Mor- Morbius series. It was uh, Your description actually is the best one I've heard so far of what she actually is. It's a very, very vague in the series. And just to sort of uh, simplify matters, I did, in fact, decide that at some point she became a full-blown Nosferatu, if, even if perhaps she was all along. Uh, and Martine is a character that uh, I always found interesting when Frank Springer was doing his Morbius series and Adventures into Fear, and she's somebody I referenced in Marvel Zombies 4. So, uh, uh, yes, the, the, the short answer to your question is you are correct. We did not actually see her turn into a vampire. Mm-hmm. Is that a story that you might come back to? or what? Are yeah, you know, uh, Morbius does appear in Marvel Zombies 5. Uh, he appears in the second issue and the fifth issue. Uh, second issue is out now. And, uh, you know, I just think he's a terrific character. I, I, I love the, the science vampire high concept of him. I love his look. I definitely want to do more Morbius. Any Morbius limited series or something coming up? I know that that's been uh, teased about in the last yeah, few years. Yeah, not coming up. He's also appearing regularly, regularly in Frankencastle right now. Rick Remender does a great job with him. Okay, cool. Don Omar says, what is your favorite Spider-Man story, and how has it affected your work on the character? Um... I'd have to say my favorite run. I mean, I'm just going to be lame and say my favorite run is the Lee Ditko run. As you know, I said earlier, that's what I grew up reading. I mean, there's so many great moments in that it would be hard for me to tease out. I love Jay Jonah's speech about why he hates Spider-Man. I love the death of Betty's brother at the hands of uh, the gangsters. That, 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 yes, the Blackie. Thank you. That Doctor Octopus is involved with. Uh, I love the whole, you know, uh, the whole, uh, you know, you know, thrusting the, the wreckage off top of them in the middle of the uh, of the flood. They they should do some more throwbacks to that. We haven't seen that in. I'm I'm joking, of course. I think yes. that that was in uh, Revort's manifesto. That absolutely no more throwbacks to the lifting of the. Yes. 
wreckage. We, we parodied that in Incredible Hercules, where Spider-Man tra- had, been, had an entire car park dumped on top by Hercules, and he was unable to get out of it. So was, we, we actually used some of the ripped off the dialogue from that sequence. That's funny. Uh, funny K asks about uh, your portrayal of the chameleon, but we already covered that, so okay. I will move on to um, Hambone. He's actually uh, more curious about your portrayal of the black cat and okay. uh, the decision behind her selling Spider-Man's blood, and he's wondering if this is done to kind of pave the way for Carly Cooper as the love interest. Well, it wasn't really. It's not really to pave away anything except I, what I like about the Black Cat is she is a. To me, she's a dangerous character, and to me, she she's more interesting if she's not goody two shoes. So I I like characters who have an edge to them, and I like the idea that that Spider Man. Peter and Spider-Man are really flirting with disaster by dating the Black Cat. As exciting as that that may be, we're watching. R2D yeah. just harassing people here. In the yeah, park. he's taking off the parking lot. That's kind of dangerous. I'm seeing a lawsuit. Uh oh. Yeah. Well, I know that this was kind of Joe Kelly's story, uh, the whole Black Cat thing. But are we ever going to see how she got her bad luck powers back? That's a good question. That I don't. That I don't know. I don't know the answer. There's a miniseries coming out, a Black Cat miniseries is coming out pretty soon. So nobody touches on it. You're the anthology book guy. You know? <laughs> there you go. That's a good point. Why, why, why don't you pitch something? You yeah, know, that's not. That's actually a pretty good idea. B Dog asks, Mr. Van Linte, will you ever revisit Kirkman's original Marvel Zombies? Yes, I did in Marvel Zombies Return. Out now in hardback form. I think soon to come out in trade paperback form if it hasn't already. My favorite one from that that. Nick Dragada and I did is we revisited the Kirkman uh, Zombie Spider-Man, and that was the first issue of, of Marvel Zombies Return. From Spider-Man 252, Mr. Van Linte, thank you for taking the time to answer some fan questions. Can you describe the process of writing for Spider-Man in the current format? Are threads or plot lines that are created by one writer left alone by others for the original writer to tackle? It seems like that may be the case. An example would be recently we saw Mr. Negative make a anti-May, or he calls her Dark May, like anti-May. Right. right. But then the plot line went away, and we haven't seen it again. And also, do you prefer working in the multi-writer pool, or would you prefer to be the only writer where you could carry forth your own plot ideas at your own pace? Thank you. Wow. That's a lot of questions. Uh, but I think, generally speaking, it's not really that much different, from my understanding, from working in a TV series in the sense that we all get together and discuss our plot lines, and then other people go off, and then we each sort of go on our separate corners and write our stories. So it's, it's very different than, say, uh, doing Incredible Hercules with Greg Pak, where um, the... Uh, the the he and I are literally passing scripts to each other and rewriting each other's stuff until it's it's a it's a fine rule of Fred and Gregness that you would that's totally different than anything he would do by himself that I would do by by myself. Um, uh, Dark Ant May is coming back that is going to be resolved. Uh, I just won't tell you which storyline, but okay. it's coming up. Crazy Chris asks, Mr. Van Linte, as of this moment, what is the last comic book you read and what did you think of it? Your own work does not count. Okay. Um, the last comic book I read, it was The Unwritten Number One by Mike Carey and Peter Gross, and I hope I got those names right. I read it last night. I thought it was awesome. I can't wait to pick up the trades. I literally just found it lying there on my coffee table. I don't know where my wife got it, but I'm presuming that that's who brought it in. It was just, it, it was it was almost like the unwritten. And oh, is that appeared. Mrs. Van Lente? I got it at the, um, the Mocha Arts Festival. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, which is awesome. That takes place in New York. Um, 
and Fred was signing at it, and was there. You bring you, you bring Mrs. Van Lente with you? The comic book events? Good God, man, what are you doing? Well, when they're to Orlando or some of the other very nice places I've been to, yes, I do. I do take her. Okay, Scooters asks, Mr. Van Lente, I enjoyed your work on Spidey a great deal so far. What five villains would you like to have the opportunity to use in your stories? Also, what artists would you most like to work with? Uh, the team of Javier uh, Rodriguez, Javier Faludo, and Marcus Martin are awesome. They're, I know they all, they're all connected very tightly. Uh, I love working with Barry Kitson. I love working with Hefton Paolo. I love working with um, uh, Nick Dragata. They're all wonderful. Um, I, I, let's see here. I want Rocket Racer. Um, who else? Five. That's a lot. You see, the problem is I've already done a bunch of them, so I've already cleared some of them. Morbius, Sandman. With the anthology. Uh, yeah, exactly. I've already written all of them, so it's, it, that's, 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 that's almost sort of off the table. At the moment, I want to do my Rocket Racer story really badly, and I might have to just figure out some way to force that into... Uh, oh, the answer. I want to do more with the answer. I like writing the answer oh, in I Dark the Rain. Answer. I want to. I would like to do the answer. Oh, and the and Puma. I love Puma. For some reason, Puma gets no love in, the, in Marvel these days. Yeah, he's turned that around. The Black Cat's little punching bag now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You could bring back the answer. You already brought back the spot. You can do a whole late, um, you know, eighty spectacular Spider-Man reunion. Exactly. Okay. Well, Harper says that he likes your work on. Incredible Hercules. It's a pretty good read, and I did like your chameleon arc in Amazing Spider-Man. I'm also a fan of noir, and I know you did an X-Men noir series a while back with Dennis Calero. Calero. Thank you. Yep. I haven't read the mini, though. I am interested in picking up the trade, but not sure. How would you try to persuade a reader into reading it? Well, the artwork's beautiful, and it's the X-Men, and this is the biggest cliche in comics, but it's actually true in this case. It's the X-Men like you've never seen them before, with no powers, and operating in the world of a... Of a of a genre mystery. Pick it up. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> okay, Insane Johnny asked, I gotta take my breath for this one. Oh boy, wow. Yeah. We got we got the questions printed out here. Greg just got a look at this paragraph. Mr. Van Lente, I find your and Greg Peck's work on Incredible Hercules had elevated the title to my own and my seven-year-old cousin's favorite title every month. So thanks for making babysitting them a lot easier since I can threaten to not read them Hercules if they don't behave. <laughs> That's awesome. Fred Van Lente, making child discipline easier. <laughs> With that in mind, I was curious and a little worried if after your planned eight arcs end, of course, Prince of Power is the seventh arc, if you and Pac would be leaving the title, why don't you go over that before we read the rest of it? We're, uh, we're upsetting small children. We love it. Um, uh... <laughs> There's about a thousand Marvel haters that are going to take that quote and loop it and, you know, put it out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, if it wasn't that, they'd find something else. Um, okay, eight arcs. Right. We came up with the eight arcs uh, as towards the end of our Secret Invasion storyline uh, as a way to sort of plot out the entire series. And even though the eighth issue, the eighth arc, excuse me, is, is about to come out uh, and will be announced shortly. Uh, that's just the end of this chapter of Hercules' history, you know. That doesn't necessarily mean that Greg and I are going to leave the book, and it doesn't necessarily mean the book's going to end. So the short answer is no <laughs> for this five-line question. How hard is it to keep a consistent voice within an issue when you write half an issue of... Uh, 
Sure, when we're done with that, we're trying to do an interview here. But once we're done with that, of course. Eherk. Eherk, you know who that is? Iherk. That's okay, a, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's our insider's term for the, the series. Okay, and Pack writes the other half. And is that anything like the responsibilities of having to keep a consistent voice on a rotating team of Amazing Spider-Man? It, it actually isn't. Um, Greg and I started out doing the halvesies method. Um, what we've kind of ended up migrating to now, because the, ha- the way of doing it halvesies is just kind of, was just too consistent time-consuming, is that he basically writes a whole draft of something, and then he sends it to me, and I rewrite it, and then I send it back to him, and then he re- rewrites my rewrites, etc., or vice versa, I write it first, and then he rewrites it. It's The thing about Hercules is that the consistent voice really comes out of that collaboration, and um, it would be different if Greg wrote it solely by himself, or if I wrote it solely by myself. Uh, and Spider-Man's kind of completely different, because that's more we get together as a group to decide the big picture, and then Mark, Dan, Zeb, Joe, uh, and I all go off into our separate corners, and and Bob and everybody, and write our respective uh, episodes, if you will. It's a little bit more akin to how TV works, from my understanding. You've been fortunate enough to tackle a wide variety of the Marvel Universe in recent years, but is there any character, Marvel or DC, it's for a chance to write that you haven't had a chance yet? That's a tough question, because I have done a lot of them. I would like to do more with some certain characters I've already worked on. Like, I'd love to keep going with the Midnight Suns that that, I, that, uh, that were brought together, the team that was brought together in, in Marvel Zombies 4. I, I love the, the classic 70s Marvel, character, uh, Marvel monster characters, and the idea of them going out together and whooping asses. <laughs> tickles my happy bone. And Rocket Racer. And Rocket, well, right, that's right, Rocket Racer. He wouldn't be on the Midnight Suns. Though. Even though the character is unbearably overexposed, currently one character I'd like to see you return to is Deadpool. Any plans for that? Yes. Short answer? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I, more that, I, I, I have been scheduled to write more Deadpool. More on that as it's announced. Finally, I can't... Finally, okay. I can't help but notice that your output at Marvel has been absolutely huge in recent times. Do you prefer working in the Marvel sandbox in comparison to creator-owned properties? And do you have any plans for a return to creator-owned properties in the future? Well, I continue doing uh, comics, which is the comic book history of comics with my longtime action philosophers, collaborator Ryan Dunlavey. So that's still ongoing. Uh, it is true I've been doing a lot of Marvel work. It's sort of a scenario where people just keep coming to me with projects that I think are too cool to turn down. So I'm going to have to find some time here to carve out more of a space where I can create more of my own projects. But at the moment, particularly now that I'm a Marvel exclusive, um, it's all Marvel all the time. If that's the way to go. Thank you for taking the time to talk to the fans, and congratulations on landing the best gig after years of putting in work and working your way up the ladder. My St. Johnny. Thank you, St. Johnny. Yeah, for I appreciate it. Thank you for the questions. Okay. And we have a Marvel Zombies fan here. Woo! Cyber Ghostface. Regarding your Marvel Zombies Return Mini, considering at the end of Marvel Zombies 2, all the zombies had overcome the hunger for months, why would Giant Man and some of the others be back to the way that they were before and eating people? Furthermore, what happened to the people of Wakanda and the uprising at the end of Kirkman's series? Is that going to be dealt with? And why were Black Panther and Wasp, two major characters from Kirkman's story, killed off screen in such an anticlimactic way? Uh, well, the first answer to me is sort of the simplest in that, if you recall from the first issue of Marvel Zombies Return, Spider-Man was struggling with, with repressing the, um, the the urge to consume human flesh, sweet, sweet human flesh. Is that the one where he eats on May and Mary Jane? Uh, no, that is uh, Dead Days. That's Kirkman and Phillips again. Okay. But um, 
my idea, to me, the, the, the overcoming of the hunger was something as simple as really new Wakanda as, as Kirkman envisioned it was really a small community. And since they'd eaten everything else in the multiverse except, or excuse me, the universe except for New Wakanda, to me psychologically it was easier to suppress the hunger. It's a lot harder to suppress the hunger when you're suddenly confronted with the Watchers technology and have the entire multiverse to go munch on. Also, don't forget those humans they were so nice to and didn't eat exiled them to another dimension. So that might have pissed them off enough where they lost the... Uh, the, their their repression of their hunger. Um, as for the people in Wakanda, that's a good question. I don't know what happened to them, and I don't know if there are plans for them. And uh, Black Panther and the Wasp, uh, we decided to focus more specifically on the characters who had the headline books, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Hulk. And uh, unfortunately, there just was not room for them, the Wasp and Black Panther. But you're right, those were great characters, particularly in Marvel Zombies 1 and 2. Okay. FSU Spider-Man asks, Fred, what do you think Peter Parker would be doing if he was never bitten by that spider? That's a good question. Well, that's interesting because, uh, you know, then if we'd never been bitten by the spider, Ben Parker was still alive. I guess my first question would be, do we ever know what Ben Parker did for a living? I know he's a, he was an electrician in the movies, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if he would. I bet you Aunt May and Ben and Uncle Ben would have encouraged him to go into science, so he'd probably be working for Tony Stark by now. He would have turned into one of those, here we go, here's a pitch for a what-if story. He would have turned into one of those embittered researchers who despises Stark, and he would have invented something to go beat up Iron Man with. He'd be in a, he, so the short answer is he'd be an Iron Man villain. Oh, there you go. That is, that is a good pitch. Or the burglar would have just killed him because he would have been home instead of out being Spider-Man. Uh, that's true. That's true. I guess that's a possibility. I guess the burglar thing still would have happened. Or the burglar would have been caught by someone else. The, the burglar would have been caught by the elderly security guard because he wouldn't have depended on Spider-Man to stop him. Yeah. Don't worry, I may. I'll throw my microscope at him. Exactly. Hey, listen, that, thing's, that thing's heavy. Particularly if you catch him by surprise, you can take him out that way. Black Suit Spider-Man says, Hey, Mr. Van Linte, your story on Amazing Spider-Man 615 was the first comic book I ever read. I really wow. enjoyed it. There you go. I have decided that you are my favorite writer. Thank you. And Marcos Martin is my favorite artist. What que my question... You have excellent taste. My question is, do you have any Spider-Man related books coming up besides Amazing? If so, what and when will it come out? Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, and I'm honored to hear that. Um, uh, yes, I have Web of Spider-Man, which uh, I believe we referred to earlier yep. in, the, in the show. Uh, new storyline, Peter-centric, starting in 8, which is uh, this month, May. Cool. Styleship asks, what are your favorite things outside of comics? If you have any food and TV recommendations, let me know. <laughs> Uh, I loved. I do love to cook. I love to cook uh, a lot of English, a lot of uh, fish. His wife is nodding in the background. And my <laughs> wife is also an excellent cook. Uh, I love baseball. I'm a big New York Mets fan, uh, National League baseball fan in general. Um, I love to garden. We have a garden. And... Uh, like movies and TV as much as much as the next guy. Any TV recommendations for him? I'm uh, really enjoying, like everybody else, I'm really enjoying Breaking Bad right now. We're in the middle of the second season on DVD and, and, and really enjoying it. Justified. Oh yeah, and Justified, which just came out on FX. I love that show with Timothy All. Timothy Oliphant. 
Nick MB says, my question is thus. Her recent appearance in Amazing Spider-Man is my first exposure to the new Scorpion, and I liked the character a lot. Will we be seeing her anywhere else in the future? Keep up the great work. Your chameleon storyline was one of my favorite Amazing storylines in the last couple of years. Look forward to more. Thank you, Nick. Uh... I don't actually have any plans to revisit the character, but partly that's just because I just did that the, the Amazing Spider-Man story where we sort of redesigned her and gave her a new look and a new purpose. But I have no doubt um, I, I or someone else will be returning to her sooner rather than later. That's the thing about these characters. Once they're created and once they, you know, folks such as yourself respond to them, they don't really tend to go anywhere. Okay, Abdul Aziz says, do you prefer working on Incredible Hercules more or on Amazing Spider-Man? Well, it's very different muscles get exercised, so it's kind of hard to compare the two. I, uh, I really enjoy Hercules in large part because I enjoy my friendship with Greg and working with Greg Pak so much. Amazing Spider-Man is awesome because I grew up being a Spider-Man fan. The, the group of guys we work with on Spider-Man are terrific, and I really enjoy doing the, you know... The flagship character of the company is is awesome, and just you know the terrific uh, all the fans I met today, particularly who have Spider-Man hammocks of all ages, of all genders, all two of them, uh, coming up and saying wonderful things is just uh, really blowing me away. So it's a little different because with Hercules, Incredible Hercules, I really kind of feel like Greg and I've created something there that's very unique and special. But with Amazing Spider-Man, you have that wonderful feeling of being part of a tradition, of the Spider-Man tradition, and, and moving that tradition forward. Who is your favorite of the current artists and artwork, and who is the one that you feel best working with? Well, you see, I can't answer that question without disappointing someone. So I will say I love all of them, uh, and uh, and uh, Steve and Tom at the Spider Office do a terrific job of having a great stable of artists, and I really haven't been dis- disappointed by one yet. Cool. Could there be any chance that both you and Joe Kelly work together on the next Amazing Spider-Man game? No, but you may be happy to hear who is doing the next Spider-Man game. Well, Dan Slott, right? Oh, you already know. Never mind. I thought that was secret. Uh, sure, why not, if they ask me. <laughs> Maybe Dan has that job locked up. I'm not sure. You can, you know, buddy-buddy with him and stuff. You exactly. Know, take him out for a drink I'll, and then I'll, get a spot on the next game. I'll suck up to him and get the, and land the gig. Did you want something signed? That was the last of the message board questions anyway, so we just have two or three follow-ups and then... All right, sounds good. Well, the chameleon and your portrayal of him, as we know, that was very well received. Will there be any chance of you writing any more chameleon stories coming up? That's a great question. Uh, chameleon plays a major part in upcoming storylines, although I'm not writing him. But Aww. but a certain Mr. Joe Kelly does a bang-up job. Okay. Okay. As does Zeb. I think Zeb's writing most of Can you give us any vague, non-spoilery info about what's coming up that we'll be able to pick apart online for the next five, six months? <laughs> Every issue. Every issue you'll be able to just... Uh, deconstruct just with scalpels and and, and flashlights. Uh, probably not, actually. <laughs> uh, Whacker's got that chip in you. That exactly. These whackers placed a chip in the base of my skull that will explode uh, when uh, when I reveal the the next appearance of Doc. Oh, see, I almost did it. I, it almost went off right there. I can only say the first three letters. Okay, so that's da. So, or docked. So everyone can pick that apart for the next five or six months. Enjoy. 
it's um, Dr. Gavorkian, isn't it? It is. It's Dr. Voodoo. Dr. Jones, Dr. Voodoo. Too many doctors. Dr. Nick. Dr. Spock. That would be an epic crossover. It'll be right on time for Star Trek 2. Well, that's Mr. Spock. I'm talking about Dr. Spock, the well-known baby care specialist. Which would also be very exciting. Fred, thank you very, very much for talking with us today. Happy well, Free Comic Book Day. It's been absolutely awesome. Thanks for coming out. The questions were all terrific. And thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks again to Fred and Bertoni for the great interview. Now, if you'd like to read some more of Mr. Van Linty's work, you can order the Spider-Man Gauntlet Volume 1, a trade paperback, from our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. The description of that book reads, quote, They are wife and daughter of the late Craven the Hunter, and they want Spider-Man dead. The revenge plot long in the making finally takes form with Spidey's oldest enemies lining up one by one to take their best shot. First up, Sasha and Anna Kravinov's bid to destroy the wall crawler, a longtime Spider-Man rogues, Electro and Sandman. And stories delivered with the kind of classic comics battle action that has made Amazing Spider-Man the best in serial fiction for 45 years and counting. Also, Norman Osborn seeks to check off the number one item on his list, Kill Spider-Man. It's a prelude to the siege that Spider-Man will be lucky to survive. Now, this trade paperback collects Amazing Spider-Man number 612, the 616. It also has Dark Reign, the list, Amazing Spider-Man, and a bit of material from Web of Spider-Man number 2. The cover price for this trade is $19.99. Mail order has it for just $12.39. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will be back with the regular gang in a couple days, and I'll put that up on the front page. For the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com, I'm Brad Douglas.